before I, we get going with the, uh, with the study, I want to I take a minute or two to put a pitch uh, for the class that we are going to start on September 11, uh, The Fundamentals of the Faith. This is the book that we are going to be using. So everybody that signs up is going to get a book. I'm going to put this book along with the sign-up sheet on, on the table. Okay? So it's a book that has 13 lessons. It uh, has questions and fill in the blanks and stuff like that. So if it has uh, fill in the blanks, it means that there is an expectation or a responsibility of those participating in the class to do what? To do some homework, right? So if you're going to come to the class, I hope that many of you come. And this is designed, you know, for people who uh, perhaps you've known the Lord for a while, but you want to have a refresher, or you are young in the faith, and you say, you know what, I'd like to sign up and, and, uh, and learn about the fundamentals of the faith. So it's a good class uh, for everybody. Um, we, we studied that about three, three years ago, and we were doing the class. We got about halfway through and then uh, we had to stop. And just recently, about a couple of months ago, Dave Logan came to me and said, Vince, when are you going to pick up that class again? <laughs> so rather than picking up where we left off, we are going to do the whole class. And so sign up if you are interested, but you know, come with the thought that you're going to have to put a little bit of time on your own, on your study, right? Uh, it's not going to be a preaching where... The preacher does everything, or a normal Sunday school class, or the person does the teaching does everything. There's going to be a little effort on those participating, and and you know, with that effort, there is very little growing. And so that effort that you put in it will will pay off. Uh, now the questions are very easy, simple; they are, uh, they are not you know head scratchers, and we will discuss and cover those in class too. So this will be there at the table. You can look through the book, and then if you are interested, uh, you can sign up. Sounds good? And I have to make a pitch for that because I'm teaching it. So, And, uh, and we will be downstairs in one of the Iwana classroom downstairs. So I haven't decided which one, but that's where we are going to meet. So before we uh, get going now with the, uh, today's study for us, today's message, uh, Let's go ahead and open up in a word of prayer, and then we'll get into the word. Uh, Lord God, we just want to thank you and praise you for who you are. God, we thank you that you have given us your word to instruct us, Lord. You have given us your Holy Spirit, Lord, to take that word and, and make it applicable and strong in our hearts so that we could live our lives, Lord, in a manner uh, that is pleasing to you. And so we pray, Lord, this morning that as we hear your word, that we will be encouraged, that we will be strengthened, that we will be taught to discern, Lord, and to, and to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we may be firmly planted, Lord, in you, and that we may not indeed be deceived. So give us grace through your study, Lord. Move in our hearts and then strengthen us, Lord. And may all this be done, Lord, because you are God. And we are your people, Lord. May we live in a manner that is in accordance with your will, Lord, with your word, and for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today's study is on the traits of false teachers. And uh, as I began to study this section, uh, I, I thought that I was going to cover seven aspects, seven traits you know, the scripture has a lot to say about false teachers. And, uh, but as I began to study this, I said, you know, this is, uh, we'll be here forever. We are going to pass, you know, 1230 or you know, 1130. <laughs> and then I'm going to be in trouble, right? But uh, so we are going to be looking at some traits uh, of uh, false teachers. Uh, but not in really depth, even though some of these are going to be a little bit deeper, okay? And not everything that is out there, because the Scripture has a lot to say. So we are going to be focusing in one particular chapter, and, uh, and we'll go through it. But in the context of Christianity, what makes a teacher a false teacher? What does it take to be classified? 
to be labeled as a false teacher. Okay? Let me put it this way, you know, a little bit different. I would guess that most of us here, I know I have at a certain point, particularly as a teacher, as I grow in my Christian life, right, there has been times in which I have changed my position on a subject. Does that happen to you? You know, you believe one thing, then you keep on studying and growing, and then you change, and perhaps you keep on studying, then and you grow, and you go back to the same position, or you come back to a new position, right? Probably most of us who's been studying the Word have done that. So, when we as a teacher or as an individual change positions, one of three things do happen. Correct? One of three things. What are those three things? Well, we go from a position that is wrong to a position that is correct. That's a possibility. Go from, we move from the wrong to the correct. Another position is that maybe we move from the correct to the wrong. Okay? And there is a third one, and that is wrong to wrong. <laughs> you were wrong to begin with, and then you're wrong again. <laughs> right? So that's the three possibilities that we have, right? We are wrong to begin with, we moved to wrong, or we were always wrong. <laughs> uh, so it is a challenge, right? It is a challenge uh, to do that. Uh, now, does this qualify the person necessarily as a false teacher? Well, it's because I changed my position. It all depends what it is, right? It's because I changed my position or, or, or uh, am I now a false teacher? Not necessarily, but that does not negate the truth that there are indeed false teachers. You know, God cautions those desiring to be teachers. And he says in James, my brothers, let not many of you become teachers. Why? Knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Okay? So there is a day of judgment coming, and everybody is going to be subject to that judgment. But those who find themselves in a position of teaching, they will receive a stricter, right? It's a comparative term. And so everybody is going to be judged strictly. But the false teacher, God is going to scrutinize him in a deeper manner, right? So you be careful. (laughs) You be careful. (laughs) Uh, We see that in 2 Corinthians 5.10. I have heard people say in the past, several times, different people, different circumstances, they use a phrase that says, you know, if I'm going to err, err, that's the better one. If I'm going to err, I like to err on God's side. Right? You know, that's a noble statement. But God doesn't want me to err. Right? God tells me, tells teachers, tells people, that says, be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a worker who does not need to be ashamed, not one who errs on my side. If you're wrong, you're wrong. If I'm wrong, I am wrong. <laughs> it doesn't matter which side of the horse I fall, I'm falling off the horse. I just need to do what? To stay on the horse. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Second Timothy 2. 15. So the goal for teachers is to rightly divide the word of God. We will have a higher accountability. We are responsible before the Lord for that. And yet, there are times that, you know, we need to be in prayer. We need to be careful. Uh, sometimes you seek for help. You think that you understand the scripture one way. And then you go to a commentator. And there are 15 different interpretations of that one passage. And you say, oh boy. You know, so you know what I do? I say, well, you know, <laughs> I try to be graceful and non-committal and say, you know, it's okay to be non-committal. It's okay to say, you know what? I don't know. 
I'm not clear there yet, right? I have more growing to do in this area. So it's okay to say, I don't know. But a lot of times, you know, pastors, teachers, they figure they have to have every answer. <laughs> but they're studying hard. But anyway, so we as teachers, pastors, right, we need to be uh, diligent to study the scripture. Okay? And the scripture gives us warning, much warning against false teachers and call us to be discerning. And as I mentioned, I'm going to look at now four different traits of false teachers. We are going to be in Second Peter chapter 2. Uh, I'm going to start for a point for a little bit. Uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. Albert is covering Second Peter chapter 1 uh, this evening. So we kind of flip, right, Albert? <laughs> we put the, the car before the horse. <laughs> but anyway, so... Let's read a little bit in First Peter, uh, Second Peter. I'm sorry. If I say First Peter uh, as the main text, is, I mean Second Peter, even though there are some references to First Peter here. But anyway, so in Second Peter, chapter two, uh, Peter begins with this. Chapter two, verse one. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce, who will secretly bring in distracting heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bringing on themselves sweet distractions. And many will follow the destructive ways because of whom the way of the truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their distraction does not slumber. Okay. So the first thing that I want to mention here is uh, not a characteristic necessarily, but the certainty of the existence of false teachers. The certainty of the presence of false teachers. Do you notice what Peter writes? But there were also false prophets among the people, even as they will be. So this is a fact of the presence of false teachers. These false teachers were present almost 2,000 years ago, right? When Peter was around. And they have been present since then, even to uh, today. Um, but first speaks about the prophets. He says, you know, there were false prophets in the old Testament. And a prophet was a person, uh, an individual who was chosen by God, who communicated his word to the people. And prophets were normally focused with the, with the nation of Israel. They, moved, they were moved through the Holy Spirit, and they communicated God's word right, to the people of Israel. Um, and Second Peter chapter 1, Albert discussed this tonight. We talked about those prophets, you know, that the scripture will not come by a man's own initiative, right? Uh, were the, the Holy Spirit who moved. The office of prophets, uh, well, let me add this. Some of the prophets that we see in the Old Testament were, uh, they performed miracles. You know, we see Moses, Elijah, Elijah, and Elisha, and others not necessarily are not known for performing miracles, such as perhaps Isaiah and Jeremiah. The office of prophet is normally associated with the nation of Israel, normally associated with the nation of Israel. Uh, and while the office of apostles is not asso is associated with the New Testament, basically, with the church. Now, in the Old Testament, we read through the Old Testament, uh, there were many false prophets in the history of Israel. Uh, in First Kings chapter 18, we read that Elijah had an encounter with 850 false prophets. 850. 450 were the prophets of Baal, and then 400 were the prophets of Asherah. So that's quite a number of false prophets just in one location, right? And Elijah had to deal with those, all these people. And in Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah writes in, in chapter 23, it says, Does the Lord of hosts, that says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. So we see that existence of false prophets. 
So just as false prophets were common during the history of Israel, uh, the Old Testament history of Israel, false teachers will be common during the New Testament uh, time, during the history of the church. Note that Peter does not speak of false prophets continuing the church, and he neither speaks of false apostles. So Peter says false teachers, not false prophets, and not false apostles in the history of the church. Now, were there false prophets at the beginning? Yes. Were there false apostles at the beginning of the church? Yes, there were. Uh, and uh, why does Peter not speak about false prophets and false apostles? Okay, it kind of relates to the question that Mike asked this morning, right? He said, when you have a shadow... In Sunday school, he says, what does it mean when you have a shadow? When, when you have a shadow, it means that you have the real thing, right? So in order to have something that is false, it has to be compared to what? To something that is real, right? People do make false or fake, right, $100 bills. So that's when you pay with a $100 bill, somebody that look at it, they, they inspect the bill to see that it's not a fake, that it's a real bill. Now, what if somebody comes to you and gives you a $75 bill? <laughs> right? What would you say? <laughs> exactly what Mac did. He started laughing. Right? Why? There is no such a thing as a $75 Dollar bill, so they cannot be a fake $75 bill because you cannot compare it to the real thing. Uh, so the same thing, that's why Peter, I believe, says, talks about the false teachers. Why? Because the times of the prophets and the times of the apostles is what? Is past, right? So when the apostles went away, they, the apostles went away. There are no more apostles. In the history of the church, or the history of Israel, right, as we look into the future, there will be some prophets. There will indeed be two prophets that are going to appear in the future. When will that be? Well, in Revelation chapter 21, uh, chapter 8, well, let me have the reference here. Uh, well, to the, uh, let me, come. <laughs> let me stick with my text here. Yeah, uh, in Revelation chapter 18, the word prophets is joined with the word uh, uh, apostles and perhaps to represent uh, the church, right? Uh, however, the idea of prophets will appear again, what I'm saying, uh, in the future. And it's also in relationship to the nation of Israel. And when will that be? Well, those prophets are actually the two prophets that are mentioned in the book of Revelation, right? Revelation chapter 11, verse 3 or 10, which are called the two witnesses or the two prophets. So for the time of the church, there are no prophets and there are no apostles. What do we have? Teachers. So if somebody says, you know, I'm a prophet of so the Lord, I respond like Mike, they say, and I, you know, there is no such a thing as a prophet of the Lord because the office is no longer in effect. Well, I'm, a, I'm an apostle. No, you cannot be an apostle because the office is no longer in effect. You are a liar and a false teacher that you are, right? So Peter assures us, it's kind of interesting how he says that, right? Focuses on the false teachers. None of false, he says they were false prophets and there will be more false prophets. No, he doesn't say that. They were false prophets and now we will have false uh, teachers, right? And in the New Testament, we have two offices, right, in the New Testament. We have the office of elders and the office of deacons. And the office of elders are responsible for the shepherding and teaching aspects in the body of, life, of Christ, right, at the church. Uh, so those teachers, right, the right teachers, the correct teachers, the true teachers, will be in, in functioning with the church, right? And they will be either, uh, anybody who teaches can be an elder, uh, or you can be somebody else in a position of teaching. But the point is that false teachers are real. They do exist. 
and they come across and present a false uh, message. Um, in Titus chapter 1, Paul says, For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouth must be stopped, who subvert whole household, teaching things which they are not, for they sake dishonest gain. And we'll talk a little bit more on that, right? Then Paul also in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort, with all long suffering and teaching, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desire, because they have itching ears, tell me what pleases me. Okay? They will heap up for themselves teachers. That will be false teachers, teachers who tickle their ears. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Right? So the existence of false teachers is real. It's been around forever. From when the church began, immediately false teachers also came into the picture. So Peter here warns us about them. Let us know about it. But what are some of the characteristics of these false teachers? What is Peter telling us about these false teachers Again, we're going to mention the four traits of the false teacher, right? The first one is, is, is uh, if you go to first, second Peter chapter 1, that's what, I'm sorry, Albert. <laughs> the first aspect is that a false teacher has a low view of Scripture. And they use a different kind of authority, right? Law of view of Scripture, different spiritual Authority, okay? And we see that in First, Second Peter chapter 1, that Peter writes, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables, when we made known to you the power of the coming of our Lord, Jesus Christ, but we were, were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And then later on, talks about that we have, verse 19, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed. Right? So Peter goes where? Peter goes to the scripture. He goes to the Old Testament, to the Hebrew scriptures. He said, you know, we got the word of God. We saw something. We have this experience. We've seen the risen Christ and all this stuff. But we have the word of God as the basis for our belief, right? As the basis for our salvation. So that's what we have, you know, these false teachers. Now, it's curious because... Um, one of the things that false teachers they do, as I mentioned, they minimize and they look down on the word of God. Now, God takes his word seriously, right? In Psalm 138, verse 2, we see that God says, You have magnified your word according to all your name. You have magnified your word, David writes, according to all your name. So what does... How highly does God think of his word? Well, as highly as he thinks of himself, because his name represents himself, right? Let me tell you, God doesn't have a low view of himself, right? God has a high view of himself. He says that he's holy, that his name is holy. He says that, that his name is wonderful. So if God's name is holy... And he is wonderful, right? When they ask God, uh, the angel of the Lord, right? What is your name? Why do you ask, seeing that it's wonderful, right? So what is the view that we should take of God's word? The same way, right? That is holy and that is wonderful. You know, we can go through Psalm 119 and Psalm 19 and read all that and figure that out, right? But that's the point that God has exalted his word in accordance with his name. That is, God thinks of his word as holy and wonderful and pure. And as we saw, uh, false teachers do not do that. False teachers are going to minimize the word of God, right? Uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4 says this, 
they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. So, can't trust the word. I have other books. I have other literature. I have experiences. I have other things that we can put in the place of God and become authority, authoritative in God, uh, regarding God. Second Peter 3.16 says, Peter knows that there were those who distort, they twist the scriptures. Yeah, that's what false teachers do. They take the Bible, they take a verse, and they are so good at it to make you say what it doesn't really say. Right, that we are listening to that and say, man, that sounds good. It's false. <laughs> it's false. Right? Uh, yeah, Colossians 2, chapter, eight, chapter 2, verse 8. Be aware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principle of the world, and not according to Christ. You see that? Now, do not cheat you. Do not rob you. Do not make you fall. Okay? Uh, how? According to philosophy, worldly teaching, empty deceit, according to the tradition of man, okay? but not according to Christ. I just saw something. It struck me as I was studying this, right? But I've seen that before. And you see that. Maybe some of you get bothered by this, but that's, that's good if you get bothered by this. You see that on, on Facebook? That people may post that are worldly wisdom, but have nothing to do with the Word of God. That when you start thinking about them biblically, you say, that is contrary to the Word. And you see some, oh, you know, that made my day. Thank you for posting that. Like, 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 like. Filter that through Scripture. Full of Appearing, encouraging statements, memes, or whatever they are, right? That are according to worldly wisdom and not the word of God. So before you like something on Facebook, (laughs) put it through the filter of Scripture. Is this consistent with the word of God, right? That's an aspect of staying alert of the false teaching that goes out there. Because, you know, I like that, and then I start thinking on those terms. Well, maybe I shouldn't be thinking on those terms. I should be thinking on biblical terms. Okay. All right. So, neglect the word, and you end up with the doctrines of demons. That's what we'll, we'll read in First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. All right. The people... They were going to be teaching that are the doctrines of things. Why? Because they minimize the word of God. And the word of God can be minimized, can be underestimated different ways. By neglecting it altogether, by twisting it, right? by misinterpreting, by misapplying it. So let us be careful and be careful of those false teachers, that, uh, that being one of the traits of the false teachers. So along with a rejection of the scripture, uh, of the authority, the inspiration, the truth, the authority of scripture, the uh, love you of scripture, a false teacher also will reject the gospel as presented in scripture. We'll have something to say to, about the gospel that is not true. And Peter here touches a little bit on that. We, we will look at that. He says there in verse 1, there will also be false prophets among you, among the people, as they were false teachers, who will secretly introduce two things. Destructive heresies, and these destructive heresies go to the point to, to what extreme? Even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves sweet, uh, swift, uh, swift destruction. So one of the things that the false teachers are going to do, are going to deny the gospel of grace. That salvation is all a gift of God based on the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Uh, Second Peter 1, 2, and 3, that's just we read, 
we say, but in chapter 1, uh, it says that God has given us everything pertaining to life and to godliness. So I can look at it and say, you know, God has made, provided for us everything for salvation and for sanctification. Right? Salvation, life, sanctification, godliness. So whatever I need regarding those two areas, God has made available to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Actually, in Colossians 2, Paul speaks of that we are complete in Christ. I don't need anything but the Lord Jesus Christ. In Second uh, Peter, that we saw, it says that this false teacher will secretly introduce these heresies, these false teachings, right? So a false teacher is not going to come and all the sudden say, well, you know, there is a different gospel. Let me, you know, Dwight's got it all wrong. Southview Bible Church has it all wrong. Let me tell you a better way. Let me tell you. No, they're going to come in secretly, pretending to be one of the sheep, and then they are going to end up being walls, like they are described in Acts by the Apostle Paul. For these, I know, for I know this, that after my departure, savage wolf will come into you, not sparing the flock. Okay? So false teachers want to come in and want to destroy the body of Christ. They want to destroy truth. They're all, we are going to see what their focus is all in a minute. So they will secretly introduce. And in Galatians chapter 1, twice, Paul decrees a condemnation and the strongest words to those who present a false gospel. And Paul says, it's not even a gospel. So any little deviation to the gospel makes it a non-gospel. Right? It's a $75 bill. <laughs> it does not exist. Right? There's no, it's not as well, let me see how they're similar. No, no, no. It's a completely different thing that does not exist. It is not real. So any change to this gospel of grace, that the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for my sins, that the Lord Jesus Christ was buried as evidence of his death, right? and then three days, three days later, to the glory of God, he rose again, to authenticate who he is and to authenticate what he has done. That his payment does stand. And that salvation is in his name alone. Okay. Let him be a curse. Let him be anathema, Paul said in Galatians. Let him be devoted to destruction. So a false gospel condemns people to spiritual destruction. Common alterations to the gospel include, but they're not limited to, what, good works, rituals, right? So people are going to come and say, you got to do this, so you got to do that. So they do that. So a false teacher rejects the gospel. That's one of the things that he does. But there is something interesting, too, that goes on here in Peter, right? Um, and Peter says that they will, they, they will have a distraction, Right? Uh, they destroy and there will be destruction upon them. But look at uh, also the second part of that error. Say, even denying the Lord who bought them. You know, I, as I was studying this section, I said, man, this is strong. And then as I continued to study, I said, wow, this is very strong. And what Peter is saying here. Uh, and so let's look at that for just a few minutes. Uh, the Lord, even denying the Lord, the word Lord there is the word despots, which translates master Lord. Okay? So false teachers go to an extent that they deny that the authority of Jesus. That, you know, we use the term sometimes that they deny the Lordship of Christ. But it's so curious here because it says the Lord the, uh, who bought them, right? The word bought there uh, means to purchase, to purchase from the marketplace. Uh, the, this term is normally associated with redemption, 
But it's a different word used for redemption, right? And I'll tell you the difference here. The Greek term lutro stresses, the, the word for redemption, stresses the, the price that has been paid. So when we see the word uh, redemption or the Greek lutro, that, is, that puts the stress on the price that has been paid. One of Albert's favorite verses, he finds in 1 Peter chapter 1, 18 and 19, said, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So here the word lutro, redemption, is stressing what? It's stressing the price that has to be paid. That was paid by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the word that Peter uses here when he says that he bought is a different word. It's the word agorazo, which the stress is put here in the action that is performed. Not on the payment, on the form of the payment, but the action. And the action is that he bought them. Right? He bought these people. And they're saying, no, we are not subject to you. We don't want to be subject to you, right? Uh, in, uh, as an example, for example, this word is, again, used often in Scripture with that idea of buying. In Matthew 21, 12, Jesus says that he drove from the temple those who were buying and selling. In John 4, 8, he says that the disciples went to buy food, okay? But in 1 Corinthians 6, 20 and 723 is is used in in reference to believers as saying that you were bought with a price. So what does that tell me? Well, it tells me that Peter is stressing that the payment that Christ made, he made it even for the false teachers. The death of Christ on the cross was even for those who are denying him, who are saying not to him. They are bought, right? They, Jesus has a right to them, and they are rebelling and they say, no, you don't. No, you don't. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, says that Jesus is the propitiation of our sins. But not of ours only, but also of the whole world. When Jesus died on the cross, when he purchased, he purchased everybody. Now, this is not universal salvation. This is universal provision. The provision is made for everybody. Because Jesus is Lord of whom? Say that louder. Jesus is Lord of all. Right? While we're reading Philippians, it says that some knees will bow and some tongues will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Is that a right quotation or is that a false teacher's quotation? That's right. For Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We either do it now in submission to him or we will suffer eternal punishment. But a certain day in Christ's history, the day will come where they will say, yes, you are Lord. False teachers reject that. Say, no, you know, no. I'm not going to submit to him. I reject his authority over my life. He has no right over my life. Yeah, he may have paid the price for me, but I'm going to reject that. I'm going to say no to that. Okay, that's enough for that. (laughs) That's, That's what I wanted you to see, how strong this is, right? Because this false teacher, these are are both people. They are not saved, but the price has already been paid. They have rejected it. They're saying no to Christ. 
But the terminology that Peter is using here for them to be bought is the same terminology that is used by Paul referring to the Christians as they having been bought with a price. Right? Okay. So a second characteristic of false teachers, oh, just an additional note, there at the end of the verse, uh, verse 2 in, chapter, in Second Peter, verse 2, 2, 2, and many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of the truth will be blasphemed, will be evil spoken. Yet this false teacher eventually impact the way that the true gospel that the work of Christ is seen. Okay? It reflects, they speak bad of the work of Christ. That's basically what it's saying. So a second characteristic of the false teachers is the presentation of a gospel that negates, minimizes the work of Jesus Christ and rejects his authority over one's life. Right? That's what Jesus calls to repentance. The gospel calls us to repent. Right? Repent from what? From saying no to Jesus to saying yes because he paid the price for your sin, he paid the price for my sin. Third aspect, third trait of false teachers. Verse 3. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words for a long time. Their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. By covetousness. Huh? What motivates false teachers? Yeah, Bitcoin, <laughs> right? Yeah, what motivates false teachers, right? And in this verse here, we see three aspects of, of three areas, three features of these false teachers that relate to the, what drives them, what their purpose is, money, right? The first is, is, uh, is the idea or their state, okay? By covetousness, Okay. Describe their state of mind. Describe the sphere in which they operate. They're all about money. Right? That's why they send you these little prayer things on the mail, right? And they're always, you know, false teachers have this great ability to take any verse in the Bible and not make any saying something about money. And... Uh, and the way for you to become rich is to send them money. <laughs> and there is that focus about money, right? Uh, so the preposition thereby is the same idea, the same word that is used when we talk about a person being in Christ. These people are not in Christ. They are in covetousness. This is the sphere that they function. It denotes a fixed position. Their position is fixed in greed materialism. They are never satisfied. They are always saying more, more, more. Look at verse 14 for a second. Same chapter, verse 14. Toward the end of that verse, says, they have a heart trained in covetous practices. So, you know, when my boys were in school, they would go to bed practice. And every day you would hear, six o'clock in the morning, practicing. If your kids are in sports, there they go. They go practice every day, whether it may be football, baseball, swimming, whatever it may be. But they are practicing. What does a false teacher practice? What does he train on? He wants to get better at something. And what he wants to get better is how to take money out of my wallet. <laughs> he's practicing that. He's training in that. He's motivated by that. He works in that sphere. They want to do that. Paul noted that uh, they do all that, that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils and turn covetousness with idolatry. Jesus said that a man cannot serve Two masters. You either serve God or mammon. And a false teacher can care less about God. His idol is money. And they become very good, very proficient at targeting believers and unbelievers alike. 
Now, how do they do that? I mean, uh, we already said that. Not, that's the next point. But first of all, it's their state of covetousness. The second aspect that I want to mention here is their purpose. And we kind of talk a little bit here. The purpose is to exploit, to make a commerce out of people, to commercialize, to exploit, to cheat people, right? It's the, it's the word that uh, we are used as an emporium. Well, this is an emporium. It comes from the Greek word. It's the same Greek word, right? They are going to make business out of here. They're going to be business out of us. Again, when they see us, when they see believers and unbelievers, what do they see? Not a person that needs to be saved or not a person that needs to be built up in Christ. What they see is an opportunity to make money out of us. <laughs> That's what they see. How? Let me see how I'm going to make money out of this. this you know? How I'm going to entrap him. What kind of strategy am I going to use to make sure that he'll take his wallet out? So that's what they do. They, their, their purpose is to exploit the people, right? And they are good at taking money from the people. Their aim is the wallets. And then what is their strategy? I like that, what Peter says here. By covetousness, they will exploit you with what? Deceptive words. Okay. The word deceptive there is an interesting word. Is the Greek word plasticos. Okay. Is the word that comes to English, do you guess? What will be the English term that will come for that? Plastic? <laughs> right? Now, what is one of the attributes of plastic? That is easily moldable. It's easily uh, fashioned into different things. The same thing that clay, right? So that's the idea here. So what is the strategy? What is the, the tool that the false teacher will use? And that is smooth talking. Plastic words. He's going to mold the words any which way to try to get money out of me. See, for perhaps what works for Coop does not work for me, right? So Coop, I'm sorry, like a good car salesman. You know, let's see <laughs> Let's see, I can convince this guy going this way, but, you know, eh, no, uh, this guy, I'm going to have to use a different strategy, right? So these people are expert salesmen. They adapt their strategy. They adapt their words. They adapt, they adapt their methodology according to the need of the moment, to the need of the audience. How do I target that person, right? How do I go after them? In verse 18, it says this, for when they speak great swelling words of emptiness. When they speak, they speak that. Great swelling words. They come so impressive on their language, right? So impressive. But the point is, it's a smooth talking. Paul wrote in Romans 16, 17 and 18, Paul said this, um, Now I urge you, brethren, not those who cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. You hear Paul's word? By smooth words and flattering speech they deceive. They are going to mold their speech in such a manner that is attractive, that is convincing, that might make you feel good, and then you're going to reach out of your back pocket and say, okay, I'll send you a check. <laughs> I'll send you a check. So here we go. That's uh, another aspect, another trait of the false teacher. And let's look at uh, the next few minutes. Uh, one last uh, uh, trait here that is noted in people in Second Peter, we are going to have to skip a little bit because it's too much there. But uh, the last aspect that I want to look is the, the conduct of the false teacher. How ungodly their conduct is. Right? Now, some false teacher may display more of one thing or the other, right? But there is also a conduct that is manifested 
in the life of those who reject the authority, the ownership of Christ. Right? And Peter spends a lot of time here. First, let me note right, that in verses 4 through 10, Peter emphasizes or describes three examples of God's judgment for apostasy. So these are apostates, right? And Peter says, well, you know, this is uh, they, maybe some of these people went in church, right? And they came to Awana. They moved on to youth group, right? Maybe they sang in the choir. Maybe they play music. They did special music. Maybe even they taught Sunday school or they were behind the pulpit or something, right? Those people come from anywhere. So they're apostates. They're, they, were, they went away from the truth, right? Uh, Peter describes this as uh, wells with no water, those flattering words, right? Uh, and as dog returns to his own vomit. But they're apostates. You know, some of them could be apostates. But then starting in verse 10, let's pick up a few thoughts there regarding these false teachers and their way, their behavior, their manner of living. Uh, verse 10, verse 10, it says, And especially those who walk according to the flesh, in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous of will. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. And he goes on from that, right? But some of the things that we can pick out of there, they are, they are flesh walkers. Rather than spirit walkers, they are now flesh walkers. Means they follow the passions of the flesh, the needs of the flesh. And that means a conduct, a lifestyle. Read Galatians 5, right? About the fruits of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. Right? This is what those people follow, the, the flesh. Things that are contrary to God. Moral, sexual, uncleanness. Corrupt desires. Right? I want the, you know, the young people to, to pay attention a little bit to what I'm going to say to you. I'm going to caution you. You are a primary target of false teachers. God wants you to be saved. God wants you to serve him. And the false teachers are out there targeting you by twisting God's word, by making a lifestyle, whatever that may be, by making a lifestyle attractive which is a lifestyle that is not, that is rejected by God, that is under the grace of God, the glory of God. You are exposed to that. You are taught that in school. You are approached to that with your friends. You are a target of immorality. You're a target of a, uh, of a behavior that promotes destruction. You're a target of a kind that is against the word of God. In Romans talk one talks about these people who are doing these things. In Romans one is talking about in particular about sexual immorality, and Peter includes that here too. He says that they not only do it, but they, they encourage others to do the same. Listen up, young people. You have a big target over yourself. And that target is put there, or you are the target of false teachers that come with false doctrine that lead to immoral, ungodly lifestyle. Keep that in mind. Now, what do we need to do with these people? We need to love them. You know what? They need to be our target. Right? They see us a target, and I say, you know what? Christ died for you. Let me share the gospel with you. Let me tell you the, the good news that God loves you, that He paid the price for your sins. Let me share with you how you can be reconciled with God. Because God loves you. So the message that we need to have is a message of love, a message that God wants to be reconciled. But we need to be careful. You young people need to be careful. I work with all kinds of people, <laughs> those included. Right? And, you know, you want to get close to be able to share the gospel like a fire, but you don't want to get too close where you get burned. 
So be sensitive, be careful, young people, because you are the target. Okay. Moral, sexual uncleanness, corrupt desires. They are rebellious, they're haters of authority. Of course, they reject God's authority over them. They're going to reject anybody's authority. I don't care what God says. I don't care what the Bible says. I'm going to do what I want. Uh, let's move into verse 12, another uh, aspect. Verse 12 speaks of them. Uh, by this, like natural brute beast made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil things. They do not understand, and they will utterly perish in their own. Okay. So they are, in a way, they are irrational, like a brute thing. Right? They don't think clearly. They don't think biblically. They don't think that they ought to think without reason, unable to think correctly, thinking ungodly thoughts. Thinking ungodly thoughts. You know, these are the people that Christ died for too, right? He died for me. Uh, in in uh, Corinthians, Paul says, in such were what? Some of you. Homosexual, effeminate, all that kind of stuff, right? Such were some of you. So God, the Lord Jesus Christ, died for these people. And they need to know that God loves them. Again, I want to get close enough to share not so close that I get burned. Okay. And they are irrational. Verse 13 says they're the finding pleasure uh, what it says, in the middle of the verse. And will receive the wages of unrighteousness. This is unrighteousness. Are those who corrupt it. Uh, are those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. Isn't that interesting? They display. They're not ashamed. They're shameless. You know, we had a few days ago, a few weeks ago, a parade in town, in Omaha, right? It was a gay parade. Shameless. In the daytime, they displayed their unrighteousness for all to see. Here I am. I'm a God-hater. I'm unrighteous. But I want everybody to see that. They're displaying that. Uh, let me go on. I don't want to stay in the same place. <laughs> Verse 14. Okay. Speaks of them. Having eyes full of adultery. They cannot cease from sin. Enticing unstable souls. They have a hard train for covetousness. For covetous practices. Right. And it accursed children. Think of that. Right. Adulterers. Eyes full of idolatry. They can never be satisfied. Okay. Eyes full of adultery, uh, should I say. You know, they always want more. They always want to experience more and more of the things of the flesh. Characteristic of false teachers and all of those who will follow their teaching. Okay. Uh, let me jump to verse 22, 20 and 22. And we'll read there this. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter, the latter is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it happened to them, according to the true power, a dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to her, having washed, to her wallowing in the mire. Okay. So again, basically what we talked about earlier, these are apostates. They had an exposure to the truth, but they reject the truth. Okay. They came to Sunday school. They went on Awana. They memorized the verses. They did it all. They had a great exposure to God. And then, they, you know, maybe they made a profession of faith. But they were never real. You know, they are dogs who are returning to their own vomit. They don't go forward. They don't move in the process forward on sanctification. They go back. You know, this Christianity thing, you know, I gave it a try, but it just doesn't work for me. 
No, Christianity is not something that you try. <laughs> it's a commitment to the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, let me close here so we have a few minutes for a song. But let me summarize with this. False teachers are, there, are here and they are here to stay. And we want to be careful. We want to be sensitive. Young people, you are a target. You need to have your ears up. You need to have your eyes open. You need to have your word, your head in the word. Filter things through the word. Why? Because a false teacher will have a love of scripture. We have presented a different source of authority. Well, you know, the Bible is an old book. You know, we are in the age of technology. We are in the 21st century. What do you want with this book that is over 2,000 years old, right? Disregard the scripture. Disregard God. A false teacher will reject the true salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ and will proclaim a gospel that is incomplete. There is no gospel at all. Where Jesus is not Lord, where life is not changed, where he has not paid the price for people. False teachers are motivated by money. And false teachers will have a lifestyle that is ungodly. Yet, such were some of you. And it's for those people, including me, that the Lord Jesus Christ died for. So get close to those people enough to share the gospel, not enough to get burned. And if you're getting close enough to share the gospel and you don't, what are you doing there? 